Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parikh, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the future of application security. Today, I have a fantastic guest with me, Naomi. Welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, so cool to be here, Harshal. Thank you so much for having me. Naomi, I am so excited to talk about so many things with you on this podcast. I was just looking at all the things, refreshing myself on the things that you've been talking about, that you've been educating the industry on. There's just so many topics. I can't wait. Before we go too far, I would love to have you introduce yourself for the guests who might not be familiar with your background and your thought leadership. Could you please talk about where you are? What do you do today? Yeah, yeah, sure. Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. My name is Naomi Buckwalter. Been in IT security for over 20 years now. Won't say how old I am, but definitely getting up there in age. And let's see, I started a nonprofit called Cybersecurity Gatebreakers Foundation. And what we do is try to break down the gates in cybersecurity hiring by winning the hearts and minds of security leaders and managers and CISOs and show them how to train and find entry-level professionals for our, our cybersecurity industry because, you know, we are all burned out and we are trying to fill in the pipeline behind us, you know, as we retire. So it's one of my missions here on Earth as long as the time I have here is to help build up the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. Other things in my personal life, I guess I do also have a full-time job. I'm the director of product security at an awesome company called Contrast Security, where we do application security software. Our mission is to build secure code, help developers write secure code faster. And it's been there since July, Harshal, so only about four or five months now. Wow, that's awesome. Just uh, four or five months. That's that's pretty cool. I'm guessing Contrast is very, very lucky to have you. Yeah, well, I'm also lucky to be there. It's a fantastic wow. company. It started by a man named Jeff Williams. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he yep. started OWASP. So big names in the industry. And yeah, we do a lot of great things for the community too. If you guys aren't familiar with Contrast Security, definitely check it out. We have some developer-friendly tools that are free for everyone to use. One of them is called CodeSec. And it integrates with our platform really well. And it is 100% free. So take a look at that. We can help you write secure code starting today. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Naomi. Now, I'm very intrigued about the uh, earlier, the nonprofit you mentioned. Tell me a little bit more about when did you start it? Why did you start it? Well, I started last year, I think April of 2021. So it's about a year and a half now. And it's because when the pandemic started, Harshal, I don't know if you had the same reaction, but when the pandemic started, I was so bored. And this has nothing to do with the nonprofit. But when I was like just going online, I'm like, hey, I wonder what the industry is up to. I started asking people like, hey, does anybody want to do like a call, just a mentorship call? I'm, I'm looking to take on some new mentees. Uh, I had a bunch of people sign up. I think I had like 30 people sign up, right? And I met every single one of them. And it seemed like mind-blowing at the time. I'm like, oh yeah, you guys are going to be able to find jobs. No problem. And every single one of them is like, no, it's impossible. It's really, really hard. But then the more I talked to them, Harshal, they were like, amazing. 
people. They had the qualifications in terms of like what they knew and book knowledge wise, right? And all they needed was someone to give them a chance. And so the more I talked about this, the more I thought about it, I'm like, hey, wait a second. When I started in security like 20 years ago, I feel like everyone could have just gotten it. And I, yes, I had an IT background and I had a degree in computer engineering, but it was just so easy. And I couldn't understand what had changed. And I didn't know this because really my head was just down doing security. I hadn't even looked around to see what the industry was up to until the pandemic started. So right when the pandemic started, I started posting a little bit on LinkedIn about like, hey, what's going on here? What the heck? I've been mentoring all these people and they have issues trying to break into the industry. Why is this? Because when I started, it was super easy. I can literally just ask for a job and I got one. Why why is it different? Why is it different? So really started challenging the way I was thinking too, because as a hiring manager at the time, I was like, yeah, you you do need some sort of background. But then I uh, gave a kid a chance, some kid with just a high school education, gave him an internship on IT help desk. And he blew it out of the water. And like from that moment, I realized like, no, you do not need three years of experience just to do IT help desk. You can just be smart. You can be resourceful. You can have like critical thinking skills. And from there, it's just been this crazy roller coaster ride of me understanding what it actually takes to be in cybersecurity. Uh, and so what the Cybersecurity Gatebreakers Foundation is, it's kind of a, a stretch from that. It's like, hey, can other people also become believers? Because I definitely was a gatekeeper at one point. Because at me, I was like, no, you have to be super smart. You have to be like, you know, a genius to be cybersecurity. And that's just not true, Herschel. Like I've come to this realization that, you know, maybe I have definitely faults. I have major faults. And people in cybersecurity are human. They're going to have faults too. So give people a chance. Like give these entry-level folks a chance because it's only going to help everybody. Yeah. And that's what Cybersecurity Gatebreakers does. I 100% agree. You know, that's such a fantastic mission. What I've also realized being in the industry for a couple of decades now is that we all like to complain about how the talent shortage is so huge in cybersecurity and we can't find talent and so on and so forth. But the reality is that's the exact same problem in every other industry. Like there's no industry where that's, oh, we have too many people and not enough jobs, right? At least not in the tech world that uh, that we live in every day. But the reality is, I've seen so many cybersecurity hiring managers, they just don't know how to hire. And as an industry, I think we need to do better to learn how to hire, to be more open rather than just look for technical specifics or technical skills. We need to be more understanding of what makes a good security engineer or a security analyst. And it's not just the technology. Obviously, technology is very, very important. But that's not the end-all be-all. We got to understand how to really look for the right talent. They may not have the, the specific number of years of experience, but drive and motivation and passion does more than just the specific technology skills. One of the things that I used to have when I used to run a security team, I used to tell all the managers reporting to me, that especially the new managers, to read this book on hiring. It's called Who?, It's by Jeff Smart and Randy Street. And it's a phenomenal book that teaches you how to actually look for the right talent, what types of questions to ask in the interview. And I felt like as I talked about this book and some of these similar books to my peers in the industry, most people I talk to, they don't have a structured process of training newer hiring managers on how to hire. So I feel like, you know, we're promoting people to management and hiring leadership positions quickly without actually empowering them or training them on how to hire people. I think there's 
that's one of the big gaps of why we are seeing so much reluctance in hiring newer, younger engineers uh, who might not have the right technical skills. Yeah, I mean, that's what Cybersecurity Gatebreakers is doing. We're trying to provide that education to security leaders on how to train and build up that next generation. So I also created a LinkedIn course called Building the Next Generation, How to Hire and Train the Next Generation, right? And it's really just that. It's like, how do you write a good job description? How do you ask great interview questions? How do you find people? What do you look for? What is it beyond technical skills that you're looking for for entry level? And so far, so good. Like, I haven't gotten any, like, crazy feedback. But the folks who are taking the course are saying, like, hey, I can actually use this. This is actually really applicable to my job. Thank you. And it's kind of a labor of love. Definitely did not make a whole ton of money on it. I think you just make, like, the baseline LinkedIn, you know, whatever, a thousand bucks it is. But it's definitely a labor of love. And just so the cybersecurity gatebreakers are the same way. We want to provide amazing educational content out there for security leaders just so we can stop this whole posturing thing of like, you need three years of experience. Like it's time for us to grow up a little bit and understand that we are not perfect ourselves. And here's the way to get better. And also, I just want to say like, we're not blaming anybody. Like the fact that we're here, we're trying to do the right thing. The security leaders, we aren't good at hiring the next generation because we're not trained to do it. Like nobody told us we had to learn. Nobody made it as part of our personal OKRs or anything, right? Like growing up in the industry, you're just an individual contributor. And by the time you became a leader, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to continue doing the same thing that got me here. And, you know, so it's not anyone's fault that we're in the position that we're in. But what we can do is just get a little better. And since that we're now thinking critically about the problem, here are some solutions. Like, let's get better ourselves. Instead of putting the onus on the people trying to get in, let's see if we can get better as security leaders. 100%, 100%. Since you've spent so much time building this course and thinking about this topic a lot, which a lot of people haven't, tell me about maybe one or two non-obvious things that hiring managers should do, especially when looking at newer talent or people who don't have a lot of security experience but want to break into it. Yeah, for sure. Like one of the major issues that we have currently is like you have one person trying to do three jobs. So if you take a look at the average job description, and I've done this, I analyzed a thousand LinkedIn jobs, not manually, by the way, <laughs> that would be terrible. But I analyzed the you know the job description of a thousand cybersecurity jobs out there. And they ranged all the way from senior director level to the inter and entry level. And I realized like most of the jobs, uh, I forget what the statistic was, it's like 70 or 80% of them require three or four years of experience just to do entry level. But then also it does like 20 different bullet points of things as ter in terms of job responsibility. So one thing that hiring managers really overlook are your job descriptions, the way that they're written include way too many responsibilities. And then from there, you're taking a look at all your responsibilities and then you're saying, okay, you need, you do need 15 different skills in order to fulfill these responsibilities. Yeah, that makes sense. But the fact that your job description is so long-winded and it's just, you know, definitely it's not going to happen. You're not going to find one person to be able to do three jobs. Really start paring down these job descriptions to the core business needs that you need this person to do. So take a look at the 20 or so bullets on your job description and narrow it down to seven. There's some other statistic out there that says you will have more parity in terms of the types of quality candidates that you're getting if you have seven or fewer bullet points on your job description, equality meaning like the equal number of men and women. So if you're looking to build up a diverse team, it's a really good way of doing it. Limit the number of the bullets in your job description to seven or fewer, and you're going to end up getting amazing candidates because you're actually looking for a hiring manager who knows what they're asking for. So it kind of goes hand in hand. That's definitely one of the things that hiring managers can do. 
That's awesome. Do you think actually, is it because hiring managers don't know that they should have a smaller and precise or concise job description or they don't have enough budget so they're hiring one person who can do multiple things or is it just because you know lack of awareness yeah. oh my gosh great question all right so here here's the problem with cybersecurity we have way too much on our place so it's almost an organizational fault where cybersecurity is managed by one team or one department and maybe it's staffed by like you know you mentioned earlier one security engineer to every 200 developers yeah i've seen that i've definitely seen that i've also heard of fortune 500 companies with like seven people on their entire security team right so we we are aware of this is a problem. So the problem is in cybersecurity, we're focused on way too much. And what we don't do well, surprisingly, are all those basic things like asset management, configuration management, change management, data, you know, identity and access management, data security. Some of these things that we just need to do better, we don't. We do stuff like very basic things. We open all the internet 0.0.0.0/0 to the entire world, you know, the entire world can access our application. Like little things like that where we're just like, all right, to all the ports that are open on this the server, we need to start being better at the basics. So one thing hiring managers could do is start looking at what actually reduces risk to an organization. And remember, security is just risk management, managing risk for an organization. What we can do is start looking at that core set of things that manage the most amount of risk, that limit the most amount of impact to an organization, and then build job descriptions based off of that. So say like instead of doing 25 different domains, like you've got what data privacy and compliance and kind of like these outside things that really don't do as much return on investment in terms of impact, reducing risk to an organization, really going to focus on those four or five really core domains, which is knowing what you have out there on the public internet, securing what you have based off of that, and then doing those basic things first. And once we're good at those basic things, then you could start doing things like red teaming and you know internal pen testing and all these kind of different things that we think that are important, but in reality, it isn't reducing the amount of risk to an organization. So one thing hiring managers can do, just to summarize, you write those job descriptions based off of the core domains that you definitely need for your security posture to be good in your organization, and then hire based off of those core job description skills for the domains. That's great. So hopefully, if your hiring manager is trying to do that, that will also drive this person to think very clearly in terms of what exactly do you need this person to do? What exactly will the first three months look like, right? Like, I mean, those are some important questions because everyone wants to go, you know, jump straight into hiring and start interviewing people and so on and so forth. But a lot of times I realize that we don't actually understand what do we need this person to do? And if we don't truly understand what are the three or four core things that the person needs to do, that interview is not done correctly. We have the wrong panel of interviewers. And then when we have to make a decision of yay or nay, it ends up being either yes for a wrong person or no for the right person because we don't really understand what that person needs to do and what we need to look for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's almost like this snowball effects issue because here in our current jobs, we don't have that focus either as security people. Sometimes we just fight fires and whatever comes down yeah. the line, we're just trying to put it out. That is so true in a majority of organizations that don't have that very mature security program. Definitely one of the smaller mid-sized issues, even larger organizations. I was part of a, a huge company. I won't say where, but a large financial company. And we were struggling with the same problems, like really understanding what 
brings impact to the business first and focusing right. on those core activities for security and then really branching out from there. If there's if there's a larger problem that needs to be solved, like, yeah, then focus on those things. But don't throw one whole person or a whole full-time employee on threat intelligence when you can't even use that threat intelligence to begin with because your security right. operations <laughs> is so, so bad. So like, what's the point, right, of building that function within your security program when you can't even support it? It's the same yeah. thing about purchasing tools. Like you and I are both in software security software. And we understand this, like you're going to purchase a tool. You need somebody to be able to support it. It's not all going to be automated away. You need someone to configure it, someone to stand it up, someone to monitor it, someone to tune it, like someone to make sure it's still being used correctly. I think I heard another stat, Herschel. It's like 15% of all security software is used to its like peak, like to its ability, right? Like 85% of soft security software is never used the way it's intended. Like people purchase it and they think it's going to solve some sort of issue. Meanwhile, they forgot they had to hire somebody to actually run the whole thing. So it's like, it's a major problem. We think tools are going to solve everything. Meanwhile, we're not even focused on the right things. We don't have the right people in the seats. We're not doing anything correctly. It's just such a frustration. And then meanwhile, we see the burnout happening. You know, we see the breaches happening. You're like, what are we doing wrong? Well, have we even started considering thinking that maybe we're focusing on the wrong things? Hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, hiring the wrong person is so much of a drain on everyone, right? Because if you hire the wrong person or, you know, it's the right person, but for the wrong job, you end up spending months and months on hiring and onboarding and the person stays frustrated and, you know, creates this rift within the team. And then you have to let the person go or the person departs and you start the process all over again. You're wasting so much time with one wrong decision. So it makes sense to focus effort upfront on being crystal clear and who you're hiring and why you're hiring that person. One of the things actually I used to have my team do is have them write out two things. One is what will the person do in the first three months and what does the long-term job responsibility look like for this person, like in actual projects or in actual outcomes, right? And when they start writing, what are the clear outcomes? Not the job description, which is high level, but like an actual outcome or maybe reference a specific project and then send it out to every single person who's going to interview that candidate. So then everyone is in the same page in terms of understanding what this person will be actually working on. You know, it's an, hey, we have an active threat intel initiative and we want this person to be delivering these three things in the next three months. So that gives you a very clear understanding of what skills you need for it and how to interview this person and so on and so forth. Yeah, beautiful. I wish more people would think that way, Harshal, honestly. Like you probably came to this conclusion after hiring people that maybe you thought in the past were awesome because they're like good technical folks. But then you realize like, wait, I need them to to get to these goals. And in order to do that, like you you step back and you thought critically about it. I definitely appreciate that, Harshal. I wish you would uh, share your knowledge with the, the world. We could definitely learn from it. Oh my God, I made so many mistakes. I got to tell you, you know, there's some people who are just good at interviewing, you know, but when they actually have to do the work, it doesn't really happen, you know, it's, uh, so you gotta, you gotta separate that, uh, that chef, but you know, there's some people just good interviewers. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I really, I'm a big fan of not just like technical questions during the technical interview, but like asking them why something is like, if you start with like, 
okay, why would you use public key authentication? Like, what is the reason for it? Not just how would you do it? Like, how would you generate a public private key, right? Like, don't ask that. Like, you could just look that up on Google, but like, ask why. Like, and then you keep asking why questions and they'll answer the, they give you like good first question. Oh, you know, you want secure communications or whatever for a public key, at least encryption, right? And then you'd be like, okay, so why would you do that? Like, and then be like, tell me how it actually works. Like, what are the functions between public and private key? What's the relationship? Like, how would you actually do that? You know, and they'll start to stumble after a while. Like if you keep asking the why questions, then you know how deep their knowledge is. Then you'll know how like experienced they are in implementing certain things. You don't have to just ask them trick questions like what port is SSH or whatever. That's not even a trick question. Like what port is ping on? I hate that one. Uh, Like stupid, (laughs) stupid, stupid, stupid stuff like that, which you would just like cringe if you think about it, because, you know, we've all been there. I've been in interviews where I've been asked that and you just be like, come on, like. Yeah. So, so stupid, um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. We do have um, a book that you would recommend to the audience on how to hire great talent. Well, you know, that's the problem. I don't think for cybersecurity that does not yet exist. I think that is a major gap. I'm hoping to actually write one for that. Ooh. I'm trying to interview a bunch of CISOs and get their best practices on that. So that's in the works, but probably not anytime soon. But so in general, I think a really good book for building empathy and understanding the core problem lies within ourselves. There's a book called Smartest Person in the Room, you know, why we're losing the war on security or cybercrime. It's by a guy named Chris Espinosa, I think his last name is. Super, super good. You can find it on Amazon and really any kind of bookstore. It was called Smartest Person in the Room. It's got like a light blue cover with a kind of a brain on it or a face on it. (laughs) It's not the best looking cover, but uh, it's a really good read because the first two chapters, I just find myself like nodding. I was like, yep, yep, yep. That's a problem. That's a problem. And it really just turns into like, here's the problems in cybersecurity. It really starts with empathy and the emotional intelligence of the people in security. And it's all the way from the security engineers at the lowest levels to the security leaders at the top of CISOs, et cetera. And like all up and down the chain, we have this like very smart group of people and we're very, very smart. And we let people know it. We walk into the room. We're like, yeah, we actually know everything about security. Sorry, you don't know anything. And it turns off so many people. Like it's not not even funny. Like if you work with developers, they're going to know, by the way, your developers probably hate you if you're a security person. If you come in and you start telling them what's wrong with their code and like how to do development correctly, they're going to hate you because they're the ones who are closest to the code. Like they're the ones who wrote it. They're going to be very, very, they're going to take it personally if like you attack them and stuff like that. So you need to really build in empathy and build relationships relationships and trust with your developers. Near, near me, who are building my, stuff. The developers love me when I send them 375 tickets in their Jira. Oh, do they? Do they like yeah, yeah. Jira tickets even, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they're all automated to like, just oh, say, update course. your libraries. Yeah, yes. no, it's so bad. It's so bad. Like, all right. So here's, that's a good one to go on. Like, what if you do have outdated libraries? Like, okay. So first of all, are those libraries being used? Are they just being referenced in like your build files? Like that's not going to be helpful for your developers. You want to show impact. So you take a look at your outdated libraries. Okay, which one of these actually is being used. And I guarantee you, we've run the numbers here at Contrast. It's literally like in the single digits of percentage, like 90% of all application code that's run, that's actually hits, that's actually, you know, built and hits and used during runtime is like 90% of that is custom code and like 10% of its application, you know, third-party libraries and stuff like that. So what you take a look at is in those 10%, 
of code that's actually being touched during your runtime, you want to see what is actually vulnerable. So you take a look at that and you're like, okay, what percentage is 10% that's actually being run is actually vulnerable. Is there a vulnerable library that might be, that needs to be updated? And then like, is that part of the vulnerable library actually also being used? Is there a function within the class that's actually vulnerable within this vulnerable library? Like find it down to that function level or the class level if you only have the binaries. Like take a look at the actual class level and see if it's being used. If it's being used, then yeah, you should update that library. Make sure the updated version is is patched and everything else. But if it's not, like if you have an updated library and the the function in the class isn't even being touched, that the vulnerable class isn't even being touched, like don't don't put that on a ticket because you're you're now inundating your developers with like thousands of vulnerabilities, hundreds and thousands of vulnerabilities, and they're not going to know which ones to prioritize because you didn't give them that level of insight and that data. And I will tell you, like Contrast does a really good job with that. You can actually show what libraries are being used and what vulnerable functions are being touched. Like that is helpful for your developers. So give your developers that kind of level of data because then when you open a ticket, then they'll be like, oh yeah, we really trust Naomi's team because they've done the due diligence. We definitely know this could be uh, popped and exploited. Let's fix this right away. This is definitely a high or whatever it is. And then they'll build it into their their sprint, you know? Yeah, that definitely is such an important thing, but people don't pay attention to it, right? They just expect, oh, you should maintain hygiene on every single library. Why do you have an outdated library? No, it's so stupid. No, no, don't do that. They're going to hate you. Same thing with like Docker containers. Like you want to point them to something like if if you have an outdated OpenSSL, like, yeah, maybe patch that because you're going to be using OpenSSL quite a lot. But if you have like some sort of dumb, dinky little package that you're running, like that's not a, like, don't worry about that one. That's not even being touched. Don't even worry about it yet. Like, yeah, if you're going to be running within your Docker container and you're going to be touching that package, like, yeah, you want to update it. But like, you know, don't don't be like, here's 50 different packages that need to be updated in your baseline image. Like that doesn't help them. They're going to hate you for it. They really hate you. Yeah. <laughs> like I will say that. They really do. They really do. Naomi, one of the things that I've seen your, I think it was a podcast or a video or maybe both, I don't know, but they were on the topic of winning hearts and minds for security. If you can tell me a little bit about why should we even care about winning hearts and minds? Oh my gosh. Okay. So like the problem with security, not a lot of people think of this. It's like, they just think it's just data. They're like, oh yeah, someone has my personal data. So what? Well, like here's the real problem. Like there's a whole world that nobody knows about. It's called like the cyber crime or criminal underground, criminal gangs. And they use cyber crime in order to fund their operations. So something like, you know, selling stolen credit card data. Like I'm watching this movie yesterday on Netflix. Like, Emily the criminal. It's the hilarious thing, but it's exactly, it gives you a glimpse into like what's happening. So Emily's basically like in this credit card theft ring and, you know, now she's into like selling TVs at first, but then she'll eventually get into like these bad, worse crimes. And that's essentially like a microcosm of what's happening in the criminal world is they sell this data that's stolen from poorly written applications or poorly secured organizations. And they sell this to criminals and the criminals are doing it, using it to like hurt people and to like buy worse things like guns and trafficking humans and like you end up affecting real lives of real people it's not just credit card data like you use that data for something else like it actually hurts real people and a lot of people don't understand this so when we say winning hearts and minds it's like literally making that connection for them and just be like hey if you turn on your two-factor authentication that means you're protected from all these things and also people around you are going to be protected and all your friends and family are going to be protected because you're all doing the same thing you're protecting your accounts And then the criminals can't get to you. They can't affect your personal life. They can't steal your 
bank account information and and start routing your money off to you know different accounts like you will be protected from these things right and so you show them the tie the relationship between what they're doing for security and then like how it affects their personal life people start figuring it out quickly that like oh yeah i should be doing this because it helps me it helps me not just the company and once that happens a lot more people start doing security and what we do need in security is like security is everyone's responsibility we need everyone doing security not just the security team and the more people who are doing security the better it is for everybody that's such a brilliant way to connect the implications of lax security, right? Because most people, when we talk to you know non-security people in a company, most people want to do the right thing generally, but it's just like, yeah, it's not their top priority, so they just don't pay attention to it in a lot of cases. But if you can connect with them in this whole different emotional level, like, hey, guys, look, or, you know, everyone, if you don't follow these things or if you get compromised for so-and-so reason, your credit card data gets stolen and it's actually causing a lot of real-world harm in other aspects of the world that you might not be even familiar with, that helps people just understand the implications of it. And maybe they'll start doing the right thing, paying more attention to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, you can even hear the most basic stories be like, oh, yeah, someone hacked my account. They locked me out of my email or whatever, or they they rerouted my bank. So and then they are fighting this whole thing for years. Like it really wrecks their life. It takes them offline for like two or three years while they try to get their life back together. Like it really messes people up. Not to mention like stalkers, you know, people like that, that can really, really hurt you physically in the real world. A lot of people don't see that, Herschel. They're just like, oh, it's just data. Oh, it's just, I don't care who has my personal data. It's like, actually you do. You just don't know this yet. And then the more people who understand this, the better it is for everyone, for society. Now, putting my security person hat on, one of the things that's been happening, at least in this year, is a lot of security teams are being asked to cut down on their headcount, their budget, and so on and so forth. And as you mentioned earlier, as a security team, we have to do a lot of different things in the organization. So we always like to think and believe that we are always understaffed and under-resourced. And now in this day and age, we are being asked to cut down on even more do you have any thoughts or suggestions on how should we handle those types of conversations with the company leadership? Yeah, yeah. The best systems right now are are having this thought too, because a lot of people are having layoffs and the new year is coming around. So here's the perfect time to do this. But you want to re- take a look at what your priorities are. It really comes down to like those fundamentals. What are those fundamental things you should be doing as a security leader within your security team, your security program? What's the most beneficial thing that you can be doing for your company? And then focusing on that. So your, your strategic plan for next year, starting in January, is reprioritizing all the efforts that you have. And maybe some of those smaller things, the things that don't have the, a great benefit to the company, maybe those things are going to start falling off to the wayside. Like maybe you're not going to do a lot more threat intelligence anymore, or maybe you're not going to use this other tool or whatever. Like some things are going to be after you're going to have to cut out because your focus should be on that 90%. If you know about the Pareto rule, it's like the 80-20 rule. You want to focus 80% of your energy on those things that actually matter because if you spend 80% on the 20% of things that matter, like that is a waste of your energy. Like you want to be focused on the stuff that brings the most amount of benefit and impact to your business. So refocus and reprioritize your plan, the things that you're doing within your team. And that will really help with your team's burnout and with your overworking, you feel understaffed because you're no longer overworked. You're only focusing on those right things. And so now, now that you know this, you can very much move into be like, okay, 
June comes along. Okay, do we have bandwidth to take on this one other thing that we need to do? Say it needs to be something for product security, for example. Can we take on this new thing? Okay, great. Yes, we can build it in because we've automated this other thing. So your goal is to get more efficient over time, but really start on those basics. If you have just laid off some team members, I definitely implore you to take a look at your priorities for next year, start in January, and baseline off of the things that bring the most benefit and value to your company. And from there, you're going to build out job descriptions, help your team members build out their OKRs and their goals for the year, really start with the basics. So I think one of the challenges is just to truly understand what is that absolute minimum, you know, because if you're a really good security practitioner, you probably think a lot of things are absolute minimums. Like, you know, of course, you should have a red team. Of course, you should do, you know, bug bounty. Of course, you should do all kinds of different, you know, seven different types of testing on your code before it goes into production. Of course, you should do all of these things. But In a lot of cases, not all of that is really, really necessary, right? So do you have any thoughts on like what framework can be used to understand, you know, what the absolute bare bones minimum is and, you know, how to think about step-by-step improvements? I love this question. It's so good. And it's so funny because we also have a bug bounty and it's so hard to keep up with that, right? It's just like, oh my gosh. So definitely you can't protect what you don't know about. So asset management is the core thing here. So starting with what you do know, make sure you understand what everything is. So you have all your endpoints, all your public facing things on the internet, like all your servers or anything that's public facing, like, and literally all your integrations that might be passing through sensitive data, like any like GitHub integrations. You've got GitHub workflows and actions. Make sure that like you at least understand what the heck is going on there. Get a good asset inventory. And from there, you could start understanding what kind of threats and attacks those assets are having today. Because hopefully you've you have some sort of security logging, some a SIM out there that you're monitoring and capturing logs. You want to take that data then and parse it down to each asset. So say you have a web application on the public internet and you know the types of attacks that are coming in there. Okay, great. You know the types of attacks that are coming to your web app. Now you can start understanding what protections you need to have in place. What are the right mitigations to protect that web app? That means, you know, maybe you do need to do different code reviews because the public pages are being attacked, you know, 50,000 times a day. Like, since you understand where the attackers are coming from, what they're trying to do, now you know what kind of protections you need to be putting in place, what kind of monitoring, what kind of like response that you might need to build for to protect that piece. Because why would you protect something if an attacker isn't even attacking that? Like why protect one side of your house that isn't even being looked at, whereas like the front door is being attacked 50,000 times a day? Like protect your front door, not the back door, right? Like put all your resources into that, into protecting that, because that's where the attacks are coming in. And you're going to be doing this for every single different type of endpoint, so, or different asset. So think about your, like, your remote workers, your laptops, what kind of things are they falling for, for phishing, right? Like what kind of things are they downloading off the internet? Like, or do you have that kind of insight? First of all, if you do, great, because now you're going to use that data to inform your mitigating controls, your security controls for that, because you're protecting against the threat. You're protecting against the threat for those assets that you do know about. If you don't know about your assets, start there, get a great asset inventory, and then understand what kind of threats and attacks are coming into those assets and protect it from that. So for every organization, it's going to be slightly different. 
Some organizations are going to have different types of assets, different types of controls, but you want to really align those two and make sure the attacks that are coming in are being you know, detected and responded to and prevented. Because if you don't do that, you're going to let some through. That's when the problems start happening. Oh, and by the way, here's another one. You got your asset inventory, you got your uh, threats and your attacks coming in, you got your security controls. Now you also want to monitor for like things that are coming out of your infrastructure, your, your systems, because if you don't understand like what's actually being exfiltrated, like that's a problem. Them too. I see a ton of people like spending a lot of time on like that first half of the NIST CSF. It's like preventing, mm-hmm. right? But what you want to do is making sure you're detecting things that are coming out <laughs> of your environment. Otherwise, like you're in trouble if you don't understand what's actually coming out. Yeah. Right. I'll stop there. That's fantastic. That's, uh, that's, that's a lot. A, that was a lot. Yeah. That's a three year roadmap, Naomi. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Naomi, this was such a fantastic conversation. I love that we touched on different topics of uh, how to let more diverse people with different backgrounds into the cybersecurity industry, how to enable and empower cybersecurity hiring managers to hire the right candidates with the right backgrounds and skill set, how to interview. We talked about a bunch of things on uh, how to run a security program. This is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending time here on this Ah, podcast. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I was just blabbing away. Can't get me to shut up. No, no, this is great. This is all your decades of experience speaking. (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you so much, Naomi. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.